0: Sixers, what an amazing treat we have today. Keith Dow is with us, the co-founder, author of Dead Reckoning Collective, uh, a publishing company which is near and dear to my heart. Keith, welcome to the Got Your Six podcast.
1: Hey, thank you so much, Tony.
0: So you got out in early 2013, right, as a military police officer, Correct.
1: Yeah, I got out in 2013. And uh, had a, a wild transition. I, I made lots of things harder on myself, jumped into school, did all kinds of things.
0: So what do you think you made the hardest on yourself in that transition?
1: Oh, man. I um, So for like a decade, I moved to uh, Canada. And with that came, you know, immigration stuff and just making like, all kinds of things harder, whether it be accessing va services and benefits or, or anything like that like everything anything that i asked anyone up there about you know an american living in canada was like a first for them as well as like anybody that i had to ask at like the va or or anybody like in any kind of agency in the united states like what i should do as like an american living there like everybody's like oh i i don't know no one's ever asked me that so like everything that uh, most people experience getting out you know um, emotionally and socially and stuff, and then amplified by like a thousand because uh, my general day-to-day living situation was was also like that.
0: And so, in that like ambiguity, right? You look for things that remain constant, right? What do you implement from your time in the military through that transition? Now that it has almost been a decade, which is why time is flying. That you constantly implement every day.
1: I think you know servitude service service to communities is a big one for me um that's something that you know despite a couple couple different like hiccups and changes in in career path and stuff like that uh is something that that has stayed pretty constant you know whether it's um helping helping people get their written words on paper and into published books or actually you know helping people like at a clinical level with what i'm doing right now with a master of social work you know all of it is pretty consistent with like with service um which was really i really didn't actually enjoy being an mp that much go figure but what i did enjoy was you know building relationships with people that mps don't usually build relationships with and you know because like there's that whole real recognized real thing um being someone who is recognized as as you know uh, a guiding force and somebody who will help you um, i've always enjoyed that so that's, that's definitely been a constant from military to now.
0: How do you approach servitude at two different points, right? Allowing someone to be vulnerable enough to write down what they're thinking. And especially, I mean, what you guys do at DRC is not always poetry heavy, but that is just a very unique form of literature because you have to be able to take very complex ideas, simplify them, but also make them complex at the same time on top of you know your social work that you're doing through the University of New England in your master's program?
1: I think they're different levels. You know, I I think you're right. I think there's two different entry points there. And like, uh, I I would argue that sometimes poetry is a way to kind of hold off uh, vulnerability. Sometimes, Sometimes I find that I can be less vulnerable. I can still express myself without fully exposing everything. Whereas, you know, if, if I was writing an essay, I would have to say like, oh, you know, I'd have to spell everything out. With poetry, you can kind of camouflage words sometimes. You can, you can write about an experience without really writing about it. Or, you know, some people don't prefer poetry that way. But that's, that's one of the things that I enjoy about it. It's not always the way that I write. I mean, as far as the way that my master's program enables me to do that, that's how I started working with Hunter Seven. Um, is through my my field placement for my MSW.
0: You want to talk about Hunter Seven real quick and the, the amazing work that they're doing?
1: Yeah. So Hunter Seven, uh, if, you know, anybody's listening that hasn't heard, uh, it's a veteran nonprofit. We do a lot of ag- advocacy and research in the realm of toxic exposure. So uh, usually, when people hear toxic exposure, the first thing they think is burn pits, which is one piece of the pie. The rest is, you know, any exposure from just extended uh, ammunition expenditures to um jet fuel and rotor wash um you know all, all the nasty places that we've had to stay like if you've heard about like the fort brad barracks or the camp lejeune you know family housing even uh water supplies and stuff like that so you know toxic exposure uh that causes illness in service members and families um that's that's kind of the stuff that we're we're dealing with. Um, so doing a lot of research in terms of what causes those things, uh, as well as like advocacy work and, um, and help with the immediate needs program, which is, is where I come in. But I mean, yeah, I mean, in terms of that, like, asking for help is difficult, even if you know, you deserve it. Sometimes uh, people, you know, especially in our line of work, have difficulty uh, just making that step and asking someone for help there's this stigma against like feeling like you're, you're putting your hand out and it's not always that way, but, but it can definitely feel like it at times.
0: And that's the piece about servitude that, that is hard for some people to kind of stomach or at least initially lean into is you serve others, but you have to allow yourself to be served by others, which is a very, it, that is a complete mindset shift that has to occur at some point. Yeah. And I
1: think that's where veteran organizations, or at least like veteran-centric organizations that are trying to, to serve that population. I have seen them staffed with civilians who have no military experience, don't have military family, who are really competent and, you know, great members of the team. But I think um, it's, it is important to have uh, people who understand that population staffing those positions, because, you know, you need to be able to, um, to bust through that thick skin sometimes. Um, and, and, you know, approach them in a different way. I've had, you know, I've had people, uh, explain it different ways to me, you know, and being able to explain to someone like, well, it's not for you, it's for your family. It's not because you, you need a check every month. It's because you need care. You know, those, those kinds of things are are important to be able to convey to somebody.
0: And being able to address that deeper purpose, what influenced you to kind of get into that whole like advocacy piece, looking to help others?
1: Oh man that's a great question. I don't know a lot. I mean, I just turned 35 this year. So uh, I'll chalk it up to 35 years of a whole bunch of different experiences. You know, your best teachers are sometimes your worst teachers and and vice versa. So family, friends, relatives and educators and coworkers, everybody kind of like, chips off a piece for you whether you like it or not and whether they want to or not and I think that's really it but I I mean I don't think any one any one book or any one year of my life has contributed more than more than any other to be honest
0: it's that constant sculpting of experience as you go on on these past 35 years yeah
1: yeah I think I think you you determine who you want to be but I also like I'm a pretty firm believer in social learning theory like you are for sure a product of your environment in one way or another. You know, you are, you are shaped by your experiences and the, the people that are a part of those experiences. Whether you like it or not, it just may go one way or the other. Um, but either way, you're influenced, you know?
0: Yeah. And being shaped by your experience, right, allows you to kind of take in everything kind of going on around you and working on that self-awareness. What is something that you're currently working on where you haven't really dove into that realm ever? that you're you know, a novice at, let's say at this point?
1: Well, that's, I mean, that's the social work piece. And even though I'm in a, a graduate program, I'm in a graduate program because it was more feasible for me to obtain a graduate degree uh, than to start from scratch um, because I already had a bachelor's. Just wanting to help people isn't enough. And I am constantly um, being tested in, in that program. There's a lot of stuff where I'm like my brain doesn't work like this. uh the research piece is is difficult for me still. I'm really lucky to be able to like learn from from great people like Chelsea and Jack uh, at hundred seven who are you know the head of the research side over there. but I mean learning about all those things, I never thought when I was younger, I never thought I was destined for academia i was uh you know I had a couple friends in high school who like all of a sudden were like, Oh, I got accepted here, and I hadn't even thought about applying to school. I didn't know you know I didn't have anybody like pushing me any one way or the other, in terms of like, significant life decisions like that. So it didn't occur to me that I would be uh, anywhere close to here at any point. So this is definitely like one of the one of the things, the retraining, you know?
0: Yeah, and now you're the tip of the spear kind of going into it. Do you feel like it's that belief in servitude that really has improved your life and allowed you to get to where you are today? Or is there another belief or behavior or habit that has really kind of improved your life you know, let's
1: say in the last five years? Yeah, I think when I first got out of the military, I thought I, thought I would want to do something really simple. And it became really clear really fast that the, the manual jobs and stuff, um, I, which I still, I still enjoy those things. I still enjoy building things. I still enjoy hard work, but it, I needed something more. And maybe I could have found that balance if I had, like, done one of the, you know, one of the jobs that I was doing and also volunteering or something like that. But I think doing it, you know, serving as a career is something that I was drawn to, and, you know, in a way drawn back to. But I definitely think, didn't think it was going to lead to, like, the clinical side. You know, I def- I, I thought I was going to be uh, muscle well into my, my 40s. But body starts catching up with you. And so you start thinking a little bit more and then, Working a job in a hospital, I kind of got exposed to like the clinical side of social work, and I was like, "Oh shit, yeah, maybe I'll I'll kind of start looking into that." And so, you know, those little exposures. So, you know, maybe going back to your your other question, maybe maybe it was that job that kind of pushed me in this direction, um, and probably had like more of a an influence on my trajectory than than others.
0: So, being that security guard at the hospital, allowing you to kind of microdose different elements of the clinical work you would say?
1: I mean, it was my first, it was a large hospital and we worked really closely with clientele. It was, it definitely wasn't like checking doors and giving parking tickets. Like we were, we were inside and we were getting in fights every day and worked really closely like with the mental health inpatient unit and and the emergency department and stuff. So, and that was like right after I finished my, my undergrad, I started working that job and really like it was Eye-opening in the fact that I had never worked in any kind of environment like that, in, like as far as like a clinical environment, a medical environment, anything um, even close to that. So I had never really considered any of those career paths because, like, even by the time I, I had thought, like, oh, maybe that'd be cool, I was like, it's way too late to go back to school, you know, which is which is a farce. But but I just you know I didn't I didn't think it was in the cards. So seeing that and then realizing that that was an option, I started kind of piecing together how I could accomplish that
0: goal. I want to touch on something real quick. You just mentioned that like self-doubt where you said it's not really in the cards for me and you almost like self-selected yourself out of, you know, what you're doing now. Yeah. What was that driving force or what kind of kept you coming back? you like, no, there is something here. I'm going to kind of keep, you know, diving deeper into this.
1: Uh, for sure being into my thirties and, and not wanting to fight for a living for, for the rest of my life. That was a pretty common theme. Up to that point, so that was like a a good little nudge. Um, There were other factors for sure, but that was like that was a nudge. I was like, yeah, all right, this is maybe not gonna not gonna work long term. And so I started looking into that, and I'm like, oh, this actually sounds really cool. And oh, there's like a whole bunch of different things I could do with this. Because I ended up going the MSW route because initially I looked into because it was a shorter career like pipeline. I looked into a master of counseling psychology. And the problem with that was like, it varied country to country, state to state, you know, I, at the time I was not planning on being in Canada forever. So I was like, it, like going from all these things, I was like, you know, licensing and stuff like that. It became like really clear that that was not going to be a consistent thing. Whereas like an MSW pretty much rings out. All you're going to have to do is maybe jump through a couple licensing hoops. But I mean, an MSW, you can also use without a license. There's other things that you can do just with that knowledge, um, which is kind of the way that I'm going with like research and program development and stuff like that. You know, I've even done some like policy and legislation stuff with Hunter 7. Uh, So it's, it's just a really, really diverse like degree path in career field. So you can do a lot with it.
0: Yeah, it is very, from what you're saying too, very like flexible when you're doing that masters of social work. Now, along the way, right? As you continue to kind of nudge into different areas, there's failure that has to occur inevitably. What would you say is your greatest failure that has ultimately led to your success?
1: I think I've for sure learned a bit better how to manage time. And I'm better at recognizing when I'm stacking too much and, and when I'm dangerously close to like spinning out of control from like over, over commitment. And I think a lot of people struggle with that. A lot of people don't even know how to recognize it in themselves. So um, that, that is always on my, on my radar, you know, the overcommitting side of things. Because I think it really has been, you know, at times my, my greatest failure. A recent example, I mean, not specifically, but really like you're not serving anyone. If you overstack your plate, you're not serving anyone because then you just suck at everything that has for sure been a case for me you know you can't be a good parent you can't be a good partner you can't be a good uh writer you can't be a good social worker you like nothing like everything you're just going to be half-ass at everything and so you know if you if you learn to prioritize those things then it works out in the long run it helps anybody that suffers from like social anxiety like that overcommitment is huge it's a habit for sure but you can retrain
0: and because you want to do so much, you are constantly aware of what you're doing at that moment. Knowing you and how you operate, how have you been able to stay focused and in the moment of, you know, working on your MSW versus, you know, being a father versus writing and working, you know, with DRC.
1: Oh shit! I'm I'm still winging it, bro. It's still <laughs> I'm I'm by no means uh, an example. I think one one indicator for me is you know, some people look at their planners and they see a whole bunch of shit written in it and they're like, oh, that's a busy week. For me, a really busy week in my planner is very few things written because it means that it doesn't, like my workload never really decreases. It's pretty consistent. So if if a week is like pretty blank in terms of the page, it means that I fucked off on my planner because it was that busy.
0: Wow, I love that.
1: Yeah, I was just looking at it I also like I color code like by organization and and, like task and stuff like that with highlighters um, just so I can kind of measure like how much time is going into into what. So when I don't do that, like it's it kind of starts with that and it drops. And so if I can see like based on my level of engagement with like planning and stuff like that, where where I've gone awry, which is great. Like then it's, you know, it's a good indicator like, hey, get back on target.
0: Yeah, no, that's a great like kind of safety check. Yeah. So Keith, thank you so much for your time today. Before we kind of wrap up, I have to ask Keith out, how are you better today than yesterday?
1: Oh, shit, man. I went into uh, knowing, I, knowing I wanted to uh, just buckle down um, you know after the morning and, and get into the work day from the comfort of home. I went into uh, an office space that my friend and, and my partner uh, occupy, knowing that like surrounding yourself with creative people is sometimes really good for you and I I was like I have you done that in a little while no you haven't so that was what I did and I think I'm better for it and I made it back just in time you know for this podcast I ate I fed the dogs
0: talked to talk to the man Tony Nash the Sixers appreciate it I appreciate it Keith where can people go to connect with you you know and all the different amazing organizations you're a part of
1: uh, so most of what I do with Dead Reckoning can be found on, uh, the Dead Reckoning Collective Instagram page, deadreckoningco.com is the website. Uh, those are both where we're most active, um, for anything that's not posted on Instagram, we do have a newsletter. So sign up for that on the website and then 107.org uh, can see some of my stuff there. Um, if you need, you know, help with any, any kind of stuff we mentioned in that. And, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it, man.
0: Awesome. And Sixers, we'll make sure we link all of those links in the show notes, wherever you are getting your podcasts. Keith, thank you so much for sharing your time, your methods, your strategies, and your actionable advice here on the Gotcha Six Podcast. And of course, thanks for having our six. No doubt. Thanks, man. Sixers, thank you for listening to another episode of the Gotcha Six Podcast. If you got something out of this, be a battle buddy. Share with a friend, pass it along, If you're listening on Apple or Spotify, make sure you leave us a review and give us as many stars as you think we warrant because we love what we do here at the Godfather 6 Podcast. We're always adapting and evolving this podcast because of you, the Sixers. And if you're listening on Spotify, hit that follow button. You'll never miss an episode when we drop new ones every Monday. I don't know what you've been told, Sixers.